listening to What We Do in Elysium, your source for news, strategy, and discussion for Vampire the Masquerade Rivals card game. Hello everyone, this is your host Alex. And your other host Colin. How's it going tonight, Colin? Pretty good, pretty good. I was I got a lot of stuff done today, cleaned my office and everything, so that was nice. How about yeah, you? We're recording on a Saturday. This is different. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> um, tangentially related because it has to do with vampires. Uh, I ended up getting that DLC for Total War with the the pirate vampires. Ah, yes, they are. So, I, I love I, them right now. I I have not played it yet. I literally just downloaded it. So immediately after this, I will be going to play it. Yes. Fun stuff. But those are not the vampires we are here to talk about today. Correct. Um, so we're going to, it's been a while, but we're going to actually jump into talking about some uh, mechanics and strategy of the game. Since, yeah. Uh, we have an actual organized play season coming quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. With with that coming up, you know, we've been sort of digging back into, um, <laughs> yeah, what, you know, what what does the metal look like? What does building decks look like? You know, we had our, our multiplayer game the other day that hopefully that'll be up. Uh, you know, sometime around when this episode is aired, we'll see, you know, we'll see when exactly that is, but it should be up at least this week, right? Yeah. To, to YouTube yeah, by the time this is out or uh, or fairly soon after. But yeah. Right. So so check out our YouTube page um, if you want to if you want to watch a game. But anyway, so we figured we'd sort of dive into, you know, deck building, uh, both in terms of, yeah, what what do we kind of see as the I guess the meta or the state of the game right now, but and also just kind of, you know, more in depth into how would we build different decks. Yep. And today we're going to start off with probably the most important card that you're going to, if you go by the way we've outlined building decks, Uh um, the most important thing is your agenda. And uh, if you had already watched that stream with us, you'll notice the person who was the furthest behind never flipped their agenda card. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Agenda matters. Um, so it's important to have an agenda card that will be able to actually do something. Yeah, I think that's one thing that we both. Well, I know, I know, I learned from from Gen Con is really you know even in multiplayer, the importance of that agenda to get you at least some points. Um, you know, because I, I was in a game where somebody had knocked out a different person's rival because it they were far enough ahead that they still won the game. Right. So, you know, even if you're being aggressive in multiplayer, you still have to be able to accumulate some agenda because of stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And now that you mentioned it, just uh, like warning, all of this is really focusing on multiplayer. Um, right. Right. One V one while we, you know, we want that to be a, another viable um game type it just seems like right now for the game's life multiplayer is going to be where it's at so that's yep. what we're going to focus yep i know and i know some of the uh some of the spanish meta i think plays a lot of more 1v1 and, and they have their own podcast so there you go uh well <laughs> we'll cover the multiplayer and they can cover the one by one the 1v1 and we can together we can kind of cover it all you know yeah for sure and um yeah it, i just wanted to follow up on what you said having uh, an agenda that can give you that kind of extra burst um, is I think what kind of led us to discount recruitment drive when we first saw it, because 
that had value that I don't think we realized uh, in the beginning. And it's mm-hmm. the exact same scenario that you just mentioned. Like someone knocks out someone else's rival, their rival gets three agenda, but they're already so far ahead because they used their agenda to burst a lot of victory points in the beginning of the game. Right. And and I also think, you know, when we talked about recruitment drive, we were both definitely coming at it from a 1v1 mindset, background, all of that, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I still think recruitment drive is bad and you should not play it <laughs> in, in 1v1. <laughs> Um, but in multiplayer, I do, th- I, I think it has a much more of a place, right? So, um, yeah, you know, but, but for exactly the reasons you said, right. That, that burst at the beginning of the game. Yeah. So the way we're going to break this down, we're just going to talk and this is probably going to end up being a two-parter episode. We're not sure yet. Just however we end up talking about things, right. <laughs> but, um, the way we're going to break things down first is we're going to go through the agendas, uh, kind of group them by their styles or archetypes. We're not going to get in too deep of the nitty gritty, more like just the play style, what you're probably going to look for when you play with this agenda and whatnot. And then later on, we'll go back and actually dive deep into each individual style and how you're probably going to play it, what cards you're going to look for and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of hope this is a two part episode because it means we came up with a lot to talk about and, you know, yeah. it was a good discussion, right? <laughs> so, all right. Well, let's let's start off with probably the most common archetype in any game, and mm-hmm. that's aggro. Yeah. So the three uh, the three agendas we kind of have under aggro are drain them slowly and turf war, which are two very obvious ones, right? Get points for attacking, um, and also recruitment drive for the reasons we were saying, right? So typically these decks are going to have a strong emphasis on attacking. A lot of times you're not going to be trying to even get to 13 agenda. Your, your goal is to knock out your rival. Um, and a lot of times these decks also don't care as much about what the opponent is doing. They're more focused on, you know, playing their own aggressive game plan. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about all of these, except uh, Recruitment Tribe, because Recruitment Tribe is special in its own way, but Drain Them Slowly and Turf War almost specifically are non-rival caring. Like, they don't necessarily push you towards, like, go KO your rival and you're going to get points along the way. Turf War specifically is non-rival, and Drain Them Slowly is any character. Um, So what I like about Drain Them Slowly is it you can kind of almost uh, play the political game at the table is like, you know, someone's getting too far ahead. Well, you can just go start pinging them a little bit, get BP that way. Um, Yeah. Like the kind of political game that entails. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely true. You know, when I say they don't care about what the opponents are doing, that's sort of on a, um, I don't know, on the, on the macro level, I guess, right? Like they're not necessarily looking to like, oh, how do I counter X or Y? But you're yeah. right. Like they certainly care about the opponents in terms of, you know, who's close to win. I think a lot of times, the, if, especially if there's a, kind of one aggressive deck at a table and the rest of them are maybe less so, they can sort of get pulled into being the policeman. Yeah. Um, which is part of why I actually kind of like the idea of drain them slowly and or turf war, because then you sort of get quote unquote paid, right. For being the policeman, right. You still get some agenda for going after somebody who's not your rival. Right. 
Yeah, with something like Turf Horror, I could see that being like you almost not to go too far ahead into like the city deck stuff. It it can almost be a pseudo city deck agenda because you can do your own thing, go grab citizens, kind of build yourself up. And then since that one triggers on defeat, you know, you want to defeat a character in as little time and as little resources as possible. So you can go get agenda through citizens, get the stat bonuses that they give. And then, you know, everyone else is fighting against each other and then you can just go pick someone off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that kind of brings up a good point too, right? We're, we're talking about these, we're listing, we're putting them in these styles. Um, and I think that's more because these are sort of the the prototypical deck, right? Like the the um, ideal, if you will. Like you can certainly build these agendas in a different way than we're suggesting. Um, you know, like, like, like you mentioned with the Turf War, like you can build a Turf War deck that actually is probably more, cares more about citizens and just uses it for a few agenda here and there. Um, it just, that's probably not going to be the most common use of it. Right. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, that's, um, that's probably a pretty good segue into the next style that we wanted to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. and that's the city deck style. And there's now that we've had Wolf and Rat, which is very city deck focused. We have a lot of different options to go with this one. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So the, uh, the original ones were Playthings and Hunt the Hunters. You know, those have been around from the very beginning. Um, but like you said, with Wolf and Rat, we added Invisible Army and Horde the Herd, which are two city deck focused agendas. Mm-hmm. Playthings was really very singular focused. Um because correct me if I'm wrong, is stealing retainers count as attaching? It does, right? It does. Uh, I think the only thing that doesn't count, the only card that doesn't count is, is uh, what's her name? That Bung moves. Chuck? Yeah, that moves yeah, okay. retainers. Uh, I think all the stuff that steals, they count as attaching. Okay, cool. Just want to make sure before I start talking. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, right. The reason I was thinking of that is because even though you have playthings, like that's a substandard way of, at least to me, it's sort of a substandard way of using it because you're only getting the one agenda versus the two that you would have gotten. And you're also attacking your attacking someone else, which your deck might not be super geared towards. So -hmm. playthings, I think kind of has lost. I don't know if I want to say lost its luster because I really, I used to really like playthings. Um, but now with the advent of like Invisible Army and Horde, I don't know if I would play that except in maybe a specific stealing deck. I don't know. I'm yeah, it's balling. It's interesting too because like I I actually expected to see more playthings than we saw at Gen Con. I mean, obviously you know one event, all all those caveats, but yeah, um, yeah like I I thought it was one of the stronger agendas you know coming out of the core set, and I was so I was kind of surprised we didn't see very much of it. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if it comes back and and is a pretty decent contender o- over the Prince season. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you know, we'll get into sort of some of the more specific cards, but I think there's some good cards that that go naturally into that deck. For sure. So how do you play the city deck focused style decks? So, again, these are generally going to be at least somewhat aggressive, right? Because you need to you still need to attack. Right, yeah. you still need to attack mortals. Um, there are, you know, because they're mortals, there are a few options that work for mortals and don't necessarily work for 
vampires, you know, stuff like Trinity Voss or, or whatever. Um, and so they're not always going to be quite as aggressive, but like, it's real easy to, to build an aggressive deck because I mean, no, no vampire can kill a citizen without at least some type of ability or, or card help, right? Like, you know, some of them like inmate can do it natively by just paying a prestige, but I mean, you know, or, or you have to flip the top card or whatever, but like three, anyway, point being right. Three damage. You need some (laughs) boost to get to three damage. Right. Now I can see, uh, those type of decks, like, yeah, you need that upfront kind of investment to start killing the citizens, but they also generate their own value because those citizens, they can give you the stat boosts that then is just, um, especially with someone like Leishui, who gives you just the plus one for having a retainer. Um, you start picking them up easier and easier. So it's almost like an engine that just starts picking up speed. That is that is a really good point, and and, and another uh, sort of another small contrast to the aggressive decks is, you know, the aggressive deck doesn't necessarily snowball. I mean, it's good because you can come out of the gate and and be pretty Just strong, start swinging, yeah, right. But it doesn't necessarily have that value accumulation like you like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Um, with the the deck that I played on the stream specifically, it was it was a horde the herd deck, so it's it's all about messing with the the city deck on the field but it also had i i don't think i had a ton of reactions i think i had maybe i don't know six or nine reactions total uh but otherwise a ton of attack cards um and i was playing like the obfuscate flavor of it so i could do holdout dagger for a ton of damage so if if i needed to i could just switch on the aggro and go to town that way but it's still very focused on playing with the city deck so i think yeah, I think the main takeaway is if you're playing a city deck, you're going to need to probably think in the back of your mind if you need to go aggro, what cards to slot um, to, if you need to switch that up. Yep. Yeah, that's why ideally you like stuff that can do both. Uh, you know, again, we'll talk more about these, but like Intimidate is a great example of one that's oh, yeah. excellent against the city deck and excellent against players, right? Mm-hmm. So stuff like that is is just golden. Yep. Okay, what's the next one we got? So the next one is what we're calling uh, action-based agenda. So these are all the agendas that you take some sort of action and they give you like extra uh, agenda for it. So the five we have are base of power for titles, um, call of the wild for animals, manipulate the masses for schemes, rites of the blood for rituals, and then the end is nigh for conspiracies so as you can tell all five of the ones we've seen so far they all revolve around a a very specific card type and so you're you're obviously building your deck around that card type at least to some extent Mm -hmm. for sure uh what's interesting about these five is that one of them is a very delayed payoff but you actually get more for it uh with the end is nigh Mm-hmm. So all the other ones is, you know, when you do the thing. Uh, so like for base of power, call the wild. That's when you attach, um, when you attach that relevant card type manipulate is when you play a scheme that resolves rights of the blood. Um, the first time you do something, but end is nigh is weird for me because you have to actually resolve the conspiracy. So you have to put it down, get the prestige on it and then actually flip it. Right. Which is we- not to say weird, but it's very different 
It is. And I think and, that's and, just part of the whole conspiracy thing. Like conspiracies are very different. Right. And and you could argue that it maybe should be in the next list. I think the reason it's in here is though, even though you're not using the action to gain the agenda, you are like you have to do an action to get the agenda. Yeah. I don't know. I, I can see an argument either way, right? But uh No, it, I agree. It, I don't I don't think it belongs in the next I think it belongs right. here. It's just like it maybe has an asterisk next to right. it or something. <laughs> because well, because the other part about that is right, like you can very easily you know, if you set up early, you can burst a lot more than these other four because you can right. flip a conspiracy for an agenda and, you know, do two attacks and I mean get, you know, three agenda instead of the kind of two that you're that you're limited to mm-hmm. um, with most of the other ones. Now something to be careful about with these types of agendas is since you are using a lot of actions, um, you're gonna be leaving yourself somewhat vulnerable because someone in your coterie is probably always going to be bowed or bowed using l5r terms exhausted um at some point so you need to have either strong reaction cards strong blockers you know uh, optimally a combination of both um so this is definitely the types of decks that you're comfortable putting yourself in like vulnerable positions but the payoffs are usually worth it right and and also you know i think it's worth mentioning that you don't necessarily have to be trying to win purely based on the agenda. I think, mm-hmm. you know, when we get in depth, we'll sort of talk about that a little bit more, but I mean, I, I know my, my personal favorite conspiracy deck, um, the one that one of our friends from Chicago, uh, AJ played at Gen Con was pretty much exclusively a prestige drain deck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so like you can, and you know, same thing, like schemes have some of that rituals have some weird stuff. So like, you don't, even though you're playing one of these agendas, that doesn't necessarily mean you you're focused on hitting 13 agendas, your primary game plan. Um, you can kind of leverage that card type to do other things. Yeah. I think of all these manipulate the masses is probably the only one where that is going to be your solo win con. And that's because of other cards not necessarily because of (laughs) manipulate by itself but if you're playing manipulate you're probably well i say if you're playing manipulate and you're also playing toreador right and we'll get into that (laughs) yep 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 okay so next one on the list is passive agenda yes Uh, the last is the one yeah and this is the one that can be a slippery slope just because of passive agenda is by its name gaining agenda without having to do anything or just already doing something you were going to do anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> so on this list we have uh, animal kingdom horde the herd knowledge is power street brew and strength in numbers now all yep. of these are pretty much stuff that is a at the start of your turn trigger or with knowledge is power um, when someone exhausts, I think, I think Horde the Herd right. is end of your turn. Or right? the Herd's end of your turn. So yeah, it's basically um, turn triggers. Knowledge is power is the only one that you can actually trigger yourself. Um, right. And so like, it's weird because like you do typically have to do an action, but the action is not for knowledge is power, which is why it's grouped under here. Yeah. Right? Um, because like that action can be, I'm going to go, attack a citizen and get an agenda for that. And then also, Oh, by the way, I get my knowledge is power. 
um, as mm-hmm. kind of a bonus. And the astute listener will notice that Horde the Herd has showed up twice um, <laughs> because it does focus on the city deck. So, I mean, I felt like we've, we felt like it belonged there, but it also is passive in this in the sense that, right, like, like you were saying, it's an end of turn. So you don't necessarily take the action directly for getting the agenda. Right. Yeah, it's like I mentioned in the beginning, it's 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 rewarding you for kind of doing what you were already doing. I, I kind of feel like that's I don't know if that's just the best way for me to explain it or if that's the best way to explain it. Right. Um, well, and I think especially with Horde the Herd and Passive Agenda, right? Like there are games, not not the game that we played, but there are games <laughs> where the city deck be, is fairly well controlled already before your turn even starts. And so you yeah. don't really have to spend, like you can go spend your actions doing whatever you want and still just get free agenda. Yeah. You know? That's why I really like Horde the Herd because there, everyone is incentivized to do stuff with the city deck. And if you're playing Horde the Herd, you get rewarded for people potentially doing the work for you. And if they don't want to go after the city deck, then you get to go after the city deck and get the rewards plus the agenda. So you can see why I mentioned this is kind of a slippery slope because it's 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 almost too rewarding. Right. Um, I think but it can be shut down. Right. And I think I think we're both pretty positive, pretty, pretty big on the, the passive agendas. Mm. Um, I, th- I think they're, they're, they're all I not that they're all necessarily strong, but like every time one of these comes out, I always take a good hard look at it. Right. Um, and, and another thing, so too, sort of like the city deck ones, a lot of these uh, are like you build as you go, right? Particularly, you know, Street Brew and Animal Kingdom, like you're building up your options and your and your power as you're gaining agenda, right? So, and then you just start gathering up those victory points. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> which is what which is exactly what happened in our in our game on the stream is. Um, the person who's playing animals was, you know, slowly kind of spreading them out a couple turns, couple turns. And then all of a sudden they're starting to get two agenda a turn two agenda a turn. And then they had the target on their back, like, you know, very quickly. Right. Yeah. Well, cause yeah. Cause he was getting two agenda a turn. And then also, you know, he could go grab a sad or, or a citizen or both and get two, three, four agenda in a turn. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, he, he shot up real quick and it was, yeah. It's, I mean, that's what these agendas can do, right? For sure. So those are the four main styles um, that we've kind of broken things down into. So now we're going to dive in and break each one down and actually look at not only how you want to play them, the cards that you're probably going to look at to further increase that agenda. Like, I guess you can say compress that agenda value like how do you make those agendas work best for you right yep and again right like we're we're mostly going to be talking about the the sort of uh typical version um this is by no means us trying to say that like you have to build them this way uh and and i'm sure at some point you know during these conversations we'll come up with some kind of off more off the wall options as well right um but they it that's still if I guess it's kind of one of those things, right? Where like like we talked about back in the deck building episode, if you're go, if you're deviating from the sort of the stuff that like you said really kind of compresses your agenda value and gets the most out of it, 
you know, do it on purpose, right? Do it for a reason. Right. Don't don't just sort of accidentally. Oh, I guess I forgot to put in the stuff that would make my ag- <laughs> my agenda good. <laughs> like I've done. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've all done that. <laughs> like oh, I forgot this card does the thing that will help me immensely. Yep. <laughs> all right, so let's backtrack and um, start with the aggressive agendas. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, again, all these they play fairly similarly. Definitely not identically, but they do play the play patterns are fairly similar, right? They're all going to include lots of attacks and probably not that many other cards, <laughs> you know, um, probably the only reactions you're putting in are reactions that also do damage a lot of the time. <laughs> so yeah. and, and so slap in the face, uh, bad reflection, you know, all those. Right. Yep. And you're not going to be playing a lot of, uh, you know, actions and, and stuff. Yeah. I mean, especially normal actions where you have to exhaust a vampire to do it. Again, there are definitely some that you could play, but relatively speaking, they're going to make up less of your deck than just about anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so talking about, we'll, we'll start with uh, Recruitment Drive, the one that we, uh, I think, probably our biggest uh, miss that I've noticed over, you know, over the last year of the, of the podcast. Yeah. This one was like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else as much to say on it. Yeah. We, we definitely missed the mark on that. Um, it's a weird one because it's, it's probably the most different line of play among the aggressive agendas because you're not necessarily being aggressive to knock someone out. Well, I take that back. You are kind of being aggressive to knock someone out right away, but it's most likely not always going to be your rival. Mm-hmm. Um, because of what we said, you're you're bursting that agenda, which you're pro- you're you're going to be playing cheap characters, so probably thin bloods, um, maybe a bunch of guards for a, a couple different clans because they're all three. That um, not necessarily optimal but it's a choice um and then you can also talking about compressing that value get the pit uh right. get some more action economy going more attacks going you know attacks while being able to do other things uh and then you're just looking for whoever's in you know once you're at that point where your agenda is you know three over who else would get those points you're just looking for the weakest person at the table to just start hammering and you know probably making a alliance with their rival and even though they're not going to win anyway but what's the other person going to do not going to try and knock out their rival because even though you as the recruitment drive player is going to go after someone else's rival they still have the opportunity where if if you miss the math or you know something happens you're still kind of helping them and if they knock them out they win so this is also somewhat of a double-edged sword too if, if you go with that kind of play style right yeah i think this is the closest thing we have to a rush deck in yeah. rivals right and and it has the same the same benefits and the same pitfalls of rush that rush always has right is like you can win the game before somebody gets set up but you can also if you miss your mark if you like you said if you miss your math or they have a reaction that you weren't expecting you can just straight up hand the game to somebody else yeah, and that happened at Gen Con at one of my tables. Someone was playing Recruitment Drive. They're playing a very aggressive 
Thin Blood deck. And this deck had been um, sunrising a couple different people that I had uh, heard about before I actually ended up at the table with them. So I was on the lookout for it, and then I ended up being at it. And that is exactly what happened. They they got set up very quickly, and they were setting up for an attack that almost knocked someone out, but that person had like the the perfect reaction that kept them one point ahead of being knocked out. And then that person ended up losing because they just, they, they couldn't pick themselves back up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens. And, and, you know, thin bloods, I mean, I think at like right now, this recruitment drive screams thin bloods. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to play pure thin bloods, right? Like there's some, I think there's some pretty interesting thin blood combos that you can make. And we might talk more about that uh, whenever we get around to, to street brew, but there's some pretty fun stuff you can do with thin blood supporting kind of a main, you know, a big, a big guy um, as the main attacker, you know? So don't feel like it's, I don't think this is a deck where like they're all going to look all recruitment drive decks look the same, but I do think that all recruitment drive decks are playing at least like four thin bloods right now. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, we've heard, what is it? Is it, uh, Lasam- I was I was actually just going to bring this up. Lasambra, they're going to be cheap. I think they said that they're all. Was it four and under? No, uh, I think, right. or mostly. I think like mostly. I, I mean, aside from the leader, the right? leader, yeah, with the leader we know is already, but they they did say they're on the low end because they're going to have those torpor abilities. So that's that's exactly what I was thinking. The same thing too is with recruitment drive and Lasambra, you can throw out these vampires that you kind of. Depending on what the torpor abilities look like, uh, you kind of don't care if they just get knocked out right away. So that could be an interesting evolution of recruitment drive. Yeah, for sure. So, all right. Uh, the next one next... is, yeah, drain them slowly, which I think I've only played or seen played a handful of times, but I really like it. I think it's pretty cool. Um, I, it's funny. It's sort of the the polar opposite of recruitment drive among the aggressive agendas, right? Like <laughs> it it does not rush necessarily, it, but it is slow and steady. Like, right. I mean, you can start gaining your. It's fast in the sense that you can start gaining your agenda turn one, assuming you're not first player. Um, right. Which is which is which is nice, <laughs> you know. But also, it's you're not going to burst agenda with this, right? Like you're pretty, you're pretty capped on how much agenda you end up getting. Right. You're probably going to max out at two per turn, but that even then is probably a little risky unless you're running a very low curve coterie and you're able to get like three or four people on the board. Um, yeah. Like you said, if, if, if you have this agenda and you're at all superstitious about having bad luck, you're going to be first player all the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not good. Um, first player has a lot of interesting, weird interactions like that. So that that's definitely a detriment to this agenda. But it's one of the most consistent ones. It's not hard at all to make an attack that only deals one damage. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think this... This agenda, you are like you are try- you are a clock. Like by the, I, I mean, though, if if things aren't going quite well for you, you're still probably going to hit thirteen agenda by turn nine, which is which is like a good ways into the game. Don't get me wrong, yeah. 
mm-hmm. but like you know minimum i mean turn turn seven is basically the minimum i can't think of any way that you could well as of right now that you could st- steal an extra agenda um so you know i i don't know it's 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 interesting and i think generally speaking what you're doing with drain them slowly is trying to get that slow and steady agenda and then maybe looking for the knockout similar to recruitment drive but yeah, kind of like that. you i just haven't seen it enough to really you know do much more than theory craft for it mm-hmm. you could play some mind games with this deck and like yeah i'm playing drain them slowly but you have like the big haymaker attack cards to just make them overcommit on reactions. <laughs> also true. Not probably not uh, optimal plays on either end, but yeah, right. But see, and that's that's kind of another <laughs> thing about drain them slowly is it's like we the way you can kind of play it. I think if you could play it politically, right? Like you attack somebody who's not your rival, and just say, hey, look, like you probably want to save that reaction for your rival when he comes at you with you know, <laughs> the big attack. Right. So like, right. I'm just dealing like one or two damage, man. Like, do you really want to waste your, your shields on this one, this one damage? Right. You know, you can just mend it later. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the other, the other important key to say is like, unlike the other two decks, this deck does not like aggravated damage. Again, not that you can't run any of it. Like you said, you know, you can run some, you can kind of play some mind games, but in general, because aggravated damage does not trigger your agenda, you're looking for pretty much all normal damage. Mm-hmm. Superficial damage, though, is good for you because it's not going to defeat, you know, not going to defeat a, a vampire, and you can deal quite a lot of damage with some of those superficial attacks. I wonder, that's a, that's a rules question, maybe. If someone is at one blood and you hit them with over one but it's all superficial are you still dealing the damage i believe not actually i think that matt like answered this well i say may i think i think he answered it recently it actually might be because i was looking up all of his uh comments in the rules channel thread so that's (laughs) i saw it today um but no i don't believe you do because you did not actually deal any damage so you can't just keep a punching bag around and just drain (laughs) you can't drain them slowly (laughs) yeah well, you got to, the emphasis is on drain, right? Yeah. So. Okay, and then the next one is Turf War. Now, probably everyone has played with this one at some point or another if you played with the precons, yep. which is a weird choice for a pre-constructed deck, but I don't think that there was just anything else. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be just weirder for like a first-time player to play with anything but Turf War. Um... Also have not seen this one played much. Yeah, me either. Um, and I think the reason we'll, 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 we haven't seen some of these is we'll get to uh, next. But uh, Turf War is interesting, right? Because it's it's slower. Like you're probably not going to be knocking anybody out the first turn. Probably, maybe not the second. T- like maybe you can hit somebody on the second turn depending on what's going on. But the nice thing is, again, you can be very opportunistic because you get you always get an agenda for defeating a character. And if they're a big character, you get an extra one. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can just look for the targets of opportunity and, and take them out. What's nice about this one is, unlike a lot of things in Rivals, you don't really get incentivized for going after... Uh, your hunter 
like the person who you who has your rival token. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one you do like directly. You'll you'll get agenda for going after the person who's going after you, which is very different from how the rest of the game is played. Because usually you play, okay, I care about what uh, my rival's doing, and I care about what the person who I'm rival is doing. And with this agenda, you can kind of almost just cut that second person off and make it a one one on one game if you wanted to. Um, right. I don't know. I I feel like this just can't generate enough agenda <laughs> if then because you're only getting one at a time when you defeat someone and then a, maybe another one if they're five blood which not right. a ton of people are running around with more than more than one five blood potency character i don't know i like you said you need big haymaker attacks and just constantly swing for the fences on every attack <laughs> yeah and i think you know i think that it, it can burst, right? Like, I mean, there's going to be some games where you're just set up and you hit two five cost guys on the same mm-hmm. turn with two attacks. And you're just like, Oh man, I love it. Right. Like <laughs> I just got four points um, and hurt my rivals while doing so. But right. I don't know how likely that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know. I'm pretty sure the last time I saw this deck was basically the plan was to turn around and just punch like you were saying, turn around and just punch the person who had you as their rival. <laughs> right. Um, to like stop them from attacking you, you just punch them first because you're getting right. this amount of points as attacking your rival. So, which was kind of interesting, right? Like, I don't know whether that deck works, but it's a kind of a cool idea. Um, again, you're, you're going to be playing, like you said, you're going to be playing the real big attacks. Anything that can get you up to like six, seven damage. Those those are the things that Turf War I think thrives on. Um, the other card I wanted to throw out that is I think is more interesting now is uh, Coup de Gras, uh-huh. which you can just straight up defeat somebody without an attack. They have to be wounded, right? Right. But it gets around. I mean, the only the only thing that can stop it is uh, is Haze, the Thin Blood that just cancels a, an action. Other than that. Like I don't care what reactions you have, you're just dead. Right. I get. I get my probably two points, right? Because if if somebody's wounded, there's a very good chance that they're five plus. So yeah. it's a fun way of sneaking, you know, to agenda. And then, no, that doesn't count as defeating. Uh, Murder of Crows does though. So that's another. That's probably an edge case. Um, but it is an option. But Coup de Gras is definitely like, that's your 3x card in a turf war deck. Right. Yeah. So just a, a sort of card in particular. I mean, it's, it's, I, we will be talking a lot more about specific card choices as we go on. It's a little bit harder with these because like, put in all attack, the attacks, right? Is it an attack <laughs> card that deals damage? Put it in your deck. Like, <laughs> You know, you you match the disciplines and the attack type to the vampires you're playing. And that's part of why we can't kind of go into details, right? Because you can run probably any of these with physical or social or mental or some. I mean, you're going to run it with some mix of the three, right? But I mean, it's probably probably mainly physical and social because those have the the higher potentials. See, I, Um, I like mental because there's less mental defense. Which is also and, true, yes. And there's some there's a there's some two damage mentals too, right? 
Um, in fact, I, I tend to say it's going to be physical and mental more than social. I, social, I mean, you can certainly do it socially, but social seems more city focused to me, generally speaking. I guess that's true. I mean, I was I, just thinking I, like, so there's there's a biting comment that's three on a card. True. Um, intimidation. It's not necessarily all the damage, but you do you you throw the fear if you have the the trigger for it so that's helpful or like removing blockers if you need to for the the next turn um yeah i guess i guess it can go either way yep yeah that's true i mean uh three damage is nothing but i i think of i think of binding common as being a prestige drain card but yeah but but you know the damage is pretty good too <laughs> okay um so this one's kind of all on its own this next one it, it's Hunt the Hunters, and it, it fits a lot of different roles. <laughs> yes. This was and probably the most popular one at Gen Con. Yep. Yep, which I think was a big reason we wanted to talk about it sort of in its own little special slot here. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, it, it was very popular to the point that it actually got eroded quite soon after. <laughs> yep. And not, I think, I think not because it was too good necessarily, but just too ubiquitous. Exactly. It's, it's such, it was such a good default, you know, and some of that is going to like, some of that is just, we didn't have as many agendas, but I do think some of that was the, the power to it and, and, you know, limiting it a little bit more to, um, like only shuffle in or shuffle in the whole deck and and only shuffle in when you defeat them right i think those are good changes right like it, it kind of brings it a little bit back in level but by no means is it is it bad no not not at all um so yeah it hits a bunch of different archetypes so it hits the city deck one clearly um it hits aggro because if you set yourself up in a position where you're fine. Okay, I'm I'm fine leaving Sad out on the board. I'm just going to let it shoot everyone else, let everyone else deal with it, and just start going after my rival. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to turn that Sad aggravated damage um, and basically have you control it is very strong. And you're also getting paid for getting rid of Sad on your turn. Yep. Plus getting two agenda. Uh, it's very bursty as well. <laughs> yep. yep um yeah what, what what do you think what are your thoughts oh i just you know yeah i think it's still good right um <laughs> uh, i mean you'll see in in our multiplayer game obviously it was still quite good there was yep two or three sad on the board at all times and then towards the end there was just four at all times it was <laughs> it was a party yeah. in fact i think kind of ironically the biggest weakness it might have right now is Trinity Voss being such a ubiquitous card in anything Hunt the Hunters yep. <laughs> that you're going to fight over it. And we saw that a little bit in our game too, right? Of, of Hunt the, the Hunt the Hunters was struggling to, to, there were some turns where he couldn't do anything or he couldn't do what he wanted to do because he didn't have the firepower to take out those four damage set. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah. So. You already mentioned Trinity. Inmate's an easy one to slot in because he by himself can add that damage to take them out. 
Yep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, Bella can do some of the same thing. I know there was at least one deck at Gen Con that was like a Bella no attack deck, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that deck, I played with that deck, um, or against that deck, rather. That was a very quick game. <laughs> it, yeah. um, it, it's a, uh, Bella is the one where you flip the top card of your, is it plus two damage? Yeah, plus two. Yeah, so you flip the top card of your library. If it's not an attack, do plus two damage. The deck had zero attacks in it. <laughs> yeah, it's just a cool, it's just a cool thing. I, I like that. Um, so yeah, basically, you know, Trinity and Maid and Bella all offer ways of dealing four damage without using any attack cards, which is perfect for. Turns out that's exactly what you need to kill a sad. <laughs> and then there are other cards that deal specifically uh, either with mortals or antagonists directly. So, kneecapped is the is that Malkavian? Oh uh, no, kneecapped is just a, a generic. Card. Is, I'm thinking of uh, distraction. Yeah, which I also want to talk about. But yeah, kneecapped is just straight. Um, pull up the actual text of it now because I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, discard a card uh, and kill a. Yeah, kill discard a, side. a card, kill a set. And See. interestingly, or importantly too, it is literally four damage to sad if you discard a card. So any of your vampires can do it. Um. You know, every everything else you you need like like baseball bat can bump your damage up twice. Intimidation, I think, pumps it th- up to three. It does three damage against mortals. Three, yeah, one, one inherent and then plus two to mortals. Right. So you still need to have that one social kneecapped. Is literally any vampire you have can kill a, a sad. Mm-hmm. And then um, distraction is an interesting tool. Not that I've seen a ton of. Malkavian centric Hunt the Hunters decks, but if you wanted to play it like I was mentioning before, where you're fine leaving them out there and using them just as to annoy everyone else, well, Distraction lets you also just say, uh, I think it's three damage? Is it two damage? Two, two. It's two. Two damage. Okay. Well, it's still a good amount of damage. Still pretty good. Um, two damage coming to you, just send it to someone else. Yep. Um, so yeah, n- another reason that you're just, you're fine sitting out there. Yep, I mean they get to they get to assign it, but I mean that's two more damage they're taking, right? That, mm-hmm. like you said, I think I think that works quite well in in a more aggressive uh, hunt the hunters versus the more you know city focused kind of right. flavor. So yeah, very strong agenda. I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, we'll see what other tools that. I don't know, Shrouds and Shadows brings to add to the deck, because I'm sure every every expansion will need to have some way of dealing or interacting with Sad, yep. just from how you design expansions. Um, so yeah, I'll be excited to see what kind of tools that brings, because yep. I like the Hunter Hunters deck. They're fun. Yep. And if you're worried about Hunter Hunters, uh, bring Sheriff and just burn those Sad, and then they're gone forever. Mm-hmm. Or Dragon's Roost. Well, Dragon's Roost <laughs> works too. <laughs> Dragon's so, yeah. Roost messes with a lot. <laughs> yeah, you think so? Um, Especially the city. Next <laughs> <time>. <laughs> yep, that is true. So, yeah, I would I would definitely expect to see Hunt the Hunters making a good showing during Prince season. Yeah, any event you go to, expect to see probably um, any Hunt the Hunters because it's just it's such a default agenda. You can just start with it, and decks might 
shift away from it by the time they're done building the decks. They might just stay with it, but I, I could I could see building any deck starting with Hunt the Hunters. Right, because essentially you can build an aggro deck, and then if you swap Hunt the Hunters instead of one of the, like, Turf War or Drain Them Slowly, you might be, like, you're giving up a little bit of uh, potential power for a lot of flexibility. And yeah. which I think honestly is one of the big questions. Like I'm not saying for sure that that hundred hunters is always better than turf war and drain them slowly, but I I would not also be shocked if that was the case, right? If if like every drain them slowly and turf war deck ends up being just a little bit more consistent with all the hunters, who knows? Mm-hmm. I, recruitment drive I think is a little bit different, kind of like we talked about, but I don't know. Yeah, I think until we start getting more cards that very clearly slot like more superficial cards for drain them slowly mm-hmm. or more like five cost like haymaker cards for turf war yeah they're very very interchangeable or actually another card that i wanted to or another thing that i wanted to mention during turf war that i forgot but uh the 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 sombra stuff i think that like prize fighter and well, i mean prize fighter is the agenda right but like putting yes. agenda on your opponent's characters you know um that could potentially play well with with you know because that doesn't necessarily go play as much into the hunt the hunter so wanted to just wanted to kind of throw that out there i'll be interested to see if that helps like more uh vampire focused aggro decks move away from hunt the hunters mm-hmm. I'll, I'll i'll be excited to see how much the expansion messes with everything that we're saying here tonight yeah and <laughs> and actually i'm i'm kind of it's excited a good thing to, yeah, for sure. I'm kind of excited too because we will get some Prince events pre-expansion, and then we'll get plenty after, right? So we can actually get hopefully a yeah. little bit of you know actual data on. Oh man, how does the meta shifting, right? So yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. yeah. Op season's finally upon us. Yes, it's exciting. All right, next we have all the uh, city deck focus ones, and these these ones are my favorite so far. Yeah, I kind of agree. So sort of like Hunt the Hunters, they also operate somewhat on that scale between focusing on your agenda to being aggressive. And a lot of times, you know, can be a little bit flexible in that scale, even depending on, you know, your opponents, the board state, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Which I think is part of why, I mean, that's part of why I like them. I'm assuming that's probably part of why you like them too. Yeah, I like being, well, I like the city deck just as a mechanic on its own. So anything that, gets to interact with that i enjoy um but yeah they're they're interesting in the fact that they they encourage you to play against the other players but not necessarily directly that makes sense right yeah no that's true and the prime example of that and i can speak to this because i've been playing this this agenda a lot lately um is horde the herd um this is i don't I don't know if I would say this is the most high rolly deck that we have right now. Would you say that? I can't, I'm trying to think of what else there is. I think it's probably up there, right? Because um, I, I, I won a game with this agenda on my third turn. <laughs> I mean, that sounds fairly high rolly. Right? <laughs> and then you had a game where you literally never and flipped didn't flip it. Rolly, yeah, right? so it's, it's the high roll and the low roll. It can go both ways. Yeah, I, I do think it's probably going to tend to uh, live more on that high roll side, but it's also, I think, f- somewhat meta dependent. 
Yes. Um, yeah, very meta. If 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 the meta becomes everyone's playing Horde the Herd, then there's probably going to be a lot of... I don't know. Do, do people go to playing Aurora with heightened senses just to defend mortals and a lot of dragon's roosts? Right. <laughs> like, the, the, those are interesting things that we, we haven't had enough... Uh, clearly, we haven't had enough events to establish that kind of... Um, global meta everyone has their own regional meta wherever you know you're playing your local games um but that comes down to very um player preference type things right is how local metas usually uh shake down yeah which which i think was also interesting though right because like there was a big conversation on the discord the other day about you know some people were saying thinking horde the herd was just so strong in fact they sort of had an informal ban in their meta because you know not for an event but just for the weekly play or whatever because Mm -hmm. like it was just winning all the games and then other people were like man it seems bad in multiplayer because they were i guess a lot of players were playing more you know stay at home uh homebody build just don't grab citizens and you're fine Right. (laughs) right and so it's like but you know like which one of those is is quote unquote accurate i mean i don't know that either of them is necessarily the truth i think that it depends it depends on what the meta is um you know and i think that there's a strong what are you uh like defector incentive if you will right because like mm-hmm. if two horde the herd players are sitting at a table that increases the likelihood that one of them's going to win right um but then like like you said if everybody's playing the horde the herd <laughs> then it goes back to just being, you know, like it's always good to stand out. Right. So I don't know. It'll be, it'll be fun to see where it falls out. Mm. Yeah. So the, the deck is very draw dependent uh, on the city deck clearly, um, which is why you need, you need to have that backup plan because if, if, if you're a first player and the city deck is, two or more citizens you're not going to be able to score and if anyone else at the table doesn't want to let you score you're you know that's three more that's four more draws before it comes back to you which is probably going to be more citizens and you're just going to fall further and further behind um which is exactly what happened to me (laughs) right so you need to slot in tools to help you kind of mitigate if the other players don't want to if the other players actively start blocking you out of things, um, second tradition is, you know, the one that came in the same pack, which is a really cool card that I'm not yet sure where I stand on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's like at least playing around with it right now in the, in the deck I'm playing is it's probably a two X. Just you need to if if the other players aren't going to play with you, you need to manufacture your victory condition. So second tradition, take someone off the board. Maybe you can't kill them or maybe there's three citizens. You can only kill two. There's second tradition to come in for the, you know, grab the third one. I, I and then make the other players pay you to go grab those citizens if you want, because but then it also is like a weird thing where. I mean, you don't really lose any value of taking your own second tradition grab citizen. You just don't get the money from someone else. Right. Um, but you don't lose any tempo or anything for grabbing that person because they would have been out there anyway. Right. Um, I also noticed that, like, if there's a lot of sad in the street, that 
that the horde the herd can kind of struggle, right? Because I mean, you yeah. you can still end up with an agenda, but you're only getting one per turn instead of that juicy two, which I mm-hmm. think makes it a lot slower. You know, a lot less uh, scary for the other players, particularly if you had a game like you did where you started off slow. You know, um, I mean, it's one thing like if you start off and get two agenda, you know, one your first, you know, turn two and turn three, and you're all you you shoot up, and then you're limited to one. That's less bad than like, oh man, I didn't get any agenda for my from my agenda until turn four and it's only one because there's a sad in play that i can't deal with mm-hmm. so which then i mean even if they're if if you luck out and there's only like one sad out there it also disincentivizes the rest of the table for taking out that sad because mm-hmm. then they're giving you more agenda like that that player is going to gain one but then you might gain two so it's it's an interesting it's almost like um not hunt the hunters, but it sets up mind game almost like Dragon's Roost does, where right, you know what? What am I going to block? Is it going to mess up your math? Like, I think that's why I like it so much. Yeah, and, and it's also and also it is it is it has a very interesting counterplay with hunt the hunters, you know, right? Which we which like we said it was going to be popular, and if hunt the hunters is popular, that makes horde the herd better because I think horde the herd, typically speaking, it doesn't always happen clearly, but. Typically speaking, I think Horde the Herd can kind of prey on on Hunt the Hunters. I think so as well. Um, so, uh, we, so we mentioned Second Tradition. I know Clandestine is another uh, popular choice because the extra damage to mm-hmm. mortals. Um, I yeah, mean, like, I will... like we mentioned, if, if you have a way of knocking out mortals without spending resources, like you're going to find a way to put that in a city deck focused right. deck. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, yeah, so again, like, Endmate and and Bella, and even Trinity, per- perhaps, although Trinity, you're going to have to fight over more. Um, right. But, and then, of course, there's, there's I think, more I think to... you're going to have to fight over Clandestine, too. That's probably true. That's probably true. Um, and then, you know, there's there's more stuff that we'll talk about in a, in a minute when we get to some of the other city deck agendas, but, and, you know, anything that pumps your damage against mortals in particular is going to be good. And also, I, I I did play a version. I know we talked about this one. My first iteration of the deck had Royal Retreat, um, but that's if you feel lucky. That's a gamble because it, it can save you for getting. Um, you know, you might have a citizen and a sad, or we'll say you only have one citizen out on the board, and this happened to me a few times. You use Royal Retreat, discard them for the hopes of, you know, drawing an event or something, and then you get your two agenda, but you end up drawing sad, and you get your one agenda, or even worse, you draw another citizen, and, you know, now there's, you know, your your endgame is uh, where you were at, essentially. So it's another card that you could look at for this agenda, but it's probably not optimal compared to something like the sewers. Like, the sewers is such an easy card to slot for this. Right. Especially if you're playing clandestine, which is, you know, those three cards kind of start your deck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, what, the thing that the Royal Retreat is nice for, uh, I mean, I know back playing it back in the day was getting rid of sad. I right. think that's, that's really the, the draw, right? Is like, I mean, cause even sometimes it's like, if I can get rid of this sad and get any other citizen, I can attack them. I can take them out. I can deal three damage. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I definitely think it's viable, but yeah, the sewers is just such a strong, yeah. <laughs> such a strong option. The, so. the sewers is more consistent, whereas Royal Retreat is uh, you can manipulate the deck more, but it's not always going to be in your favor. 
Yep. I think it's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, why don't you tell, you, you played this one, so yes. why don't you talk about this one? Uh, so I, this is Invisible Army. This is the Vagrant Agenda. So there are only five out of the out of the 16 city deck cards are vagrants. So it's less than um, play things is with the citizens. But it does have a nice little consolation prize. If you defeat an opponent with a vagrant, you get an agenda, um, which, you know, of course, if that's your rival, then you get two agenda. You have to chew through that vagrant's protection, but you know, that, that's still a nice little bonus. Um, another thing that's nice about Invisible Army is two damage, like tons of vampires can do two damage without a card. So yeah. taking a Vagrant is piece of cake, right? It's, it's not something you have to worry about, which is nice because it means you can fill your deck, your library with cards to deal with you know, other people or, you know, you you can, you can, that's where the flexibility comes because you don't have to dedicate any cards basically to your agenda. You get to dedicate your library deck to whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And it also, uh, with what you mentioned with the two damage, um, that also affects your deck building with your vampires because you might want to, uh, this is mainly for the three costers. You might, if you're playing a deck that is normally like defensive, you might want a three coster who has their stats split into two different ones. Um, but with this one, you want to find all the three costers that are like, you know, zero, zero twos. Yep. Um, so like you said, you, you want to find that uh, critical mass of everyone who can take out an agenda, everyone who can take out a vagrant without any sort of help, which is very easy to do. Um, and what you, uh, what you mentioned about, fighting people for their vagrants as well that also opens up the avenue you might not need to defeat them you could open up the avenue of stealing them as well yes so that is i think in my view invisible army is kind of the the natural home of the steel stuff almost even more than playthings was yeah I think um, so. Per, and particularly liza right because so liza is the the toreador that when you def- when she's in the party if you defeat a character, you can take a retainer from them. So if you defeat a character with a Vagrant, that's minimum three agenda. That's really good. <laughs> yep. And I think Liza has been waiting for a home and yep. this is finally it. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, that that's that's just, you know, and, and if it's your rival, of course, then it's four. But I mean, it's not Christmas land at all for, for an Invisible Army deck to have the potential to get for you know for agenda in yeah. a turn um, and her ability with, being a party ability makes it so much easier to do like it's yeah. not christmas land at all exactly exactly um you know there's also uh irresistible voice and first one's free those both steal before the attack so you won't get the extra agenda for defeating a vagrant but you also don't have to defeat the the character right like if you you know if you irresistible voice or first one's free then you just that's just two agenda for making for taking action and there's only one card right now that can get around that right mm-hmm. um the the blank you know blank the the attack text so interesting you know uh invisible army also has i think one of the easiest ways to recur it's if not 
only way yes. to recur its victory condition with feeding the hungry. Yep. And I mean, especially because you're, you know, you can burn the retainer, right? So like, assuming yeah, there's no like, dragons hey. roost shenanigans. <laughs> if you have a feeding the hungry, if you have a feeding the hungry and a vagrant on, you're guaranteed to get two points in that turn, essentially, right. which is which is also good. Like, obviously, that's you know, two points for two actions is not amazing, but like a two point thing that almost nobody can interfere with uh at the end of the game is pretty nice yeah it's i think it's a card that you're not gonna i I don't think it's gonna be super uh played a ton but it's something you always have to think in your mind because you might be thinking if you think you're playing against a so if the liza deck becomes like a thing and and you're worried about stealing retainers you might think Mm -hmm. to yourself okay i'm not gonna kill this figure i'm just gonna burn it well feeding the hungry doesn't care right yep um, and so then the other the other card I wanted to mention was the the Shelter Haven, which is mm-hmm. the characters in your coterie with at least a vagrant have plus one secrecy in the streets. It's interesting. Um, I I'm curious to see a deck built around it. My my hunch is it might be just a little too inconsistent in multiplayer. But then again, secrecy in the streets is better in multiplayer, right? So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it is nice because. You can go out to the streets like you're you're uber defensive, right? Because if a if a character has a vagrant on them, they have one point of damage soak and they have plus one secrecy. Like it makes you a very awkward target, right? Which is nice. So I don't know. Interested to see. I just I like because that specifically plays off vagrants. I felt like we should mention that here. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how. I mean, clearly it's going to play, it would play differently. Um, but since its power level seems, uh, I don't want to say on the low end, but very narrow, I, I wonder how that would be if it was like uh, parties with a vagrant have plus one secrecy. But I, that might be, I don't know if that would be too strong, um, but it wouldn't be as awkward. Right. Yeah, it, well, and it's, it's funny too, because the other part of that that makes it awkward, right, is if, like if I have a character with a vagrant um, and then I have another one without one, well, that makes the non-vagrant more likely to get attacked because they don't have the damage soak. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then like they also don't have the secrecy. Right. So, so you're right. Like it is kind of awkward in that way. Um, and you, and you pay for the Intel before someone declares a blocker. Right. Yeah. You so, can't, you can't block somebody into having to pay Intel. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Um, okay, so that I lost my I lost my place. Here we go. Okay, any any other um, tidbits for Invisible Army? No, I think so. I was I was pleasantly surprised with how well it played. I played it because I, I think it played it was, very well. It was new yeah. and I wanted to see it, and I I really enjoyed it. I would I would play it again. Yeah, the only other time I played it was at the the precon event. Um, I was lucky enough to have like all the vagrants turn up on my turn, and I was like, "Yeah, this agenda is great." <laughs> right. I think well, which which does mention like the one potential downside. I mean, we talked about you can steal it, right? But like the the problem with vagrants being too damaged is that they're also very easy for other people to <laughs> to attack. Right. Yeah, it's very easy no. to get locked out of using this agenda, and then the 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 secondary condition of it becomes that much harder to fulfill. Um, mm-hmm. Because if everyone else has all the vagrants, then you're going to have a lot harder time killing them. Right. 
But hey, then maybe maybe there's a invisible army dra- dragon's roost. You know, mm-hmm. we just we'll just we'll continue until we we won't stop until we put dragon's roost into. Everything. I'm gonna I'm gonna find every permutation of dragon's roost that I can have. <laughs> yep. All right, um, and then uh, the OG uh, <laughs> play thing. Yes. This yeah. was my favorite agenda. <laughs> it probably, I mean, lots of things can be my favorite. Okay, we can have many favorites. We have many. We have many favorite children. Um, this interacts with uh, the majority of the city deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven, seven out of the sixteen cards are citizens, so you have the most opportunities of scoring. Uh, I do feel like list. I have to point out that mathematically, that is not a majority of the city deck. Well, <laughs> it is a it is a plurality. If you want to go with that. <laughs> It is okay. the the most of any card type. There we go. Correct word. Um, it's a lot. Di- it's 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 very different to Invisible Army. <laughs> we could say that. Yes. Um, so whereas Invisible Army doesn't require a ton of investment with the two damage, everything is three damage and almost nothing except. Uh, Leashway, when she already has one, already has a retainer with her ability online, plus clandestine can do that. Right. But then, of course, the flip side of that is, uh, whereas everybody wants vagrants because they're easy and they're always beneficial, like, uh, you know, set aside the three citizens who give you stat boosts. Everybody, you know, not that they'll go out of the way, but everybody likes those. But the other four, a lot of people don't care. Right, like I mean, they, yeah. they might try to they might try to attack one for for to heal. They might want to draw a card, but typically, like the citizens are kind of low on the list. So, well, and I mean, it's, especially it's, with the Playthings deck, you ne- you never want to take a citizen to heal, right? Because you ne- you don't get to score. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I was gonna say the same thing. Uh, you, you know, in order of things you care about for the citizens, the, the stat giving ones, the ones that will draw you a card, and than the ones that give you blood potency. Um, mm-hmm. The and the the in the two, yeah, in the last two categories, they also give you the disciplines. But I don't think we're at a point in the game where granting disciplines matters that much, or at least not enough to like plan around. Right. I mean, and and the thing too is like the the different disciplines they gain. I mean, I guess like. Like, you're uh, never going to put Lightning Strike in your deck hoping uh, that you're going to draw the Citizen that gives you extra celerity. <laughs> that is that is very true, you know, right? Like, uh, I mean, a Chef giving you a presence potentially works well with playthings because they have they tend to have a lot of presence. Right. Um, but also, like, I'm not sure that having one extra is really that big of a deal. Um, you know, yeah, the rest of them, there's there's Dominate, there's Celerity, and then there's Auspects. And uh, yeah, I just Auspex and Dominate probably they're the most desirable ones, I think. Right, but again, it's it's kind of like I mean, how often like the the Auspex one I feel like is maybe the most likely to come into play, but probably not for playthings. But just for like if you're already running heightened senses, then getting you know the addict on your leader is awesome because that's plus one extra potential shield. Mm -hmm. But in general like you said, like they're just not, you're not going to build around them. It's like every once in a while, it's going to be a nice little bonus that you get. For sure. Uh, other, let's see other cards that you are, we already talked about leash and clandestine. 
um, one of the new yeah, new Nosferatu Shilar. Um, she's really cool. I I like her a lot. It's there's sometimes awkward positions to where you want to play her. I think it's mainly because of her cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's really good for a playthings deck because you know you can usually you're going to have your citizen grabber. Although I guess is that is that a rules thing? Can you move? What's her What's her actual text? Nah, I gotta look good question. When you when a character would attach, so I think that's before you have to hit the agenda limit. I don't know. We'll we'll say that's what it is because that's what I've been thinking in my head. Yeah. <laughs> so she's a good enabling piece because you're you're probably gonna have your main citizen getter vampire, uh, and they're gonna be loaded up with. Uh, citizens. So instead of having to burn those citizens, she allows you to spread them out to the rest of the party. Right. And that's why she she goes real nicely with both clandestine, because clandestine has to be the attacker to get an advantage of hers. And she goes nicely with the sewer, um, no matter who your leader is. Yeah. Right. Because, because then you just, everybody's in a party, and so your leader attacks, and then you don't have to worry about your leader getting full. You can just div- divvy them up. Right. Uh, I mean, I think she's still fine with Leashway, but but like Leashway needs her less because Leashway is a party ability versus clandestine being you know on her. So, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you added Mohammed. I have not played with him a ton. Yeah. So this is one of those sort of uh, non, I guess non quote unquote non standard. Um, Mohammed is a car. I mean, again, and this is coming from. Of course, that meta, right? Because we were less, you know, there was just less yeah. vampires. But Muhammad goes well with playthings because he wants retainers. So he gets extra influence for every retainer he has. Mm. Um, and so he sort of helps the playthings deck switch into playing some schemes, which can be a nice secondary source of agenda, right? Like you can play your uh, fame and fortune and stuff like that, which is kind of nice. Uh, you know, it's it's he's not going to go in every playthings deck by any means. But he's a nice option. Plus, he's got the presence to, to enable some of the, you know, the presence-based stuff if you want to do that. So wanted to throw him out there. I think he has gotten much less common <laughs> lately. <laughs> but but I still, you know, I still think he's he's a potential uh, v- a member of a viable deck. And g- going back to Shilar, when you get those uh, citizens that come out of the board that you just don't care about, just in should a scheme deck come about like that, just pitch all those citizens that you don't actually care about to Muhammad and give him more influence. Yeah. So, uh, so then so, we have the, uh, yeah, we, 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 yeah, we've kind of talked about the, the attacks that, that help, you know, help you take down citizens. Um, baseball bat lets anybody with one physical take down a citizen, you know, intimidation helps anybody take down any citizen which is nice um and then seduction you know is another one that like is like i said if you're running presence it helps yeah it, you it's a little build around but it's it has the potential of letting anyone take out a citizen mm-hmm. yep um and then there's also the whole set of i guess well there is a card that is less for if if you want to build a more aggressive playthings deck, then gang up is an option. Be, because yeah. uh, no, as we, say, uh, you, you use gang up very well. <laughs> yes, it also so yes, it also goes quite nicely in Invisible Army. Uh, 
but you know it's it's because it's for every retainer which vacants count but also citizens you you know it, it boosts damage and it can it can get to some pretty high levels pretty pretty quickly yeah. um, um go ahead. <laughs> no you know you go you go i've talked uh help me help you is uh really versatile it it obviously slots into a playthings deck because you want to um go grab those citizens as often as possible um but if if there was a case where you know playthings is kind of i wouldn't say homebody ish i wouldn't say homebody at all because mainly you have to be in the streets uh, unless you're playing the sewers obviously um but if you're out there and you're vulnerable and someone, you know, you're playing against an aggro deck, even though you aren't interacting with them, you can just go after the retainers and then get the benefit of healing, which helps you kind of hold them at bay. And it's really nice because you can mend one blood on anyone. It doesn't have to be in the party. It's just Coterie or Torpor. So I, I really like Help Me Help You. Yeah, I was gonna ask. Well, for, first of all, actually, I think your I think your your sort of initial homebody point was interesting because, like you said, they're not really homebody because they have to be in the street. I mean, unless you're playing this kind of a sewer specialized deck, but but they do have some of the same tendencies of homebody where, like, you're probably not gonna be trying to like attack your opponent or or pre- right. present much of a threat to them, which means that like you need to be able to defend yourself and or heal yourself to keep yourself going. Um, I also wanted to ask, do you think, so help me help you in the penthouse, obviously fill very similar roles, but help me help you, you have to draw it and play it, but right. it's way more versatile. Like, do you, do you think that help me help you kind of pushes penthouse out or do you think there's room for both? I think there can be room for both. Um, if you're playing both, then I would expect to see other, um, effects that key off of mending because that's that's a lot of mending mm. you're going to be doing mm-hmm. um i don't know maybe a lot like alejandro is always the first one that comes to mind um yeah i don't know if they push each other out but they certainly serve different purposes but can be combined if you have something else so i yeah i wouldn't say one necessarily cancels out the other or makes a non-bow or anything like that Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Just, I was just going. I, I do feel what did, like. What do you think? No, no. I, I, I was just. I kind of had hadn't thought about that too much until just now. But I mean, I do think. I think help me help you is m- more broadly playable than the penthouse. I think so too. Um, because like I think if you're going for the sort of the clandestine Sheilar kind of combo, then the penthouse doesn't really do a whole lot of good for you. But help me help uh-huh. you can be excellent. Um, and you can also have multiple help me help these out also like true. if, if uh, i imagine you're probably gonna be somewhat ahead on the game but being able to mend two or three that's that's really good then you're then you're just getting the the burn effect on every citizen without actually having to burn them <laughs> right or and and the fact that it hits characters in torpor i think is potentially huge right because if somebody oh, yeah. gets knocked out then you can bring them back in and you know have an kind of an unexpected action or or whatever so saving a card yeah yeah or that too and then the sewers obviously that's that's another one that um you're probably is the easiest to pair up with playthings unless your your deck ends up wanting uh, a different haven for whatever reason but 
being able to attack from the Haven. It's <laughs> there, there's not not much more to say about that one. <laughs> yeah, it's always going to be a consideration, right? Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, I think we're probably going to cut it here. Um, still got a lot more to talk about, but we're getting a little long in the teeth for this episode. Yes, yes, we will. <laughs> we will certainly cover the rest of the agendas. So if we haven't covered uh, your favorite agenda or, or one you're curious about, we will. We promise we will get to it next episode. We'll cover the rest of them. Yeah, um, the next think... ones are just very, very versatile where they have a lot going for them and a lot of considerations. Yes, yeah, exactly. So we almost got halfway through, which is pretty good, I think. Yeah. With, you know, we yeah. had the intro thing, so. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this one. Um, any other closing thoughts before we head out? No, I don't think so. I mean, again, we're we're looking forward to seeing um, the the spoilers that are coming out. Uh, go watch our YouTube channel. Uh, we we were blessed with some spoilers, which is pretty cool. But also, we you know we have a multiplayer game, and we'll we're hopefully we'll be doing those again, you know, somewhat regularly. So check yep. out our Twitch and YouTube channels. Yep, and we also we have we have other video content in the pipe that's not strictly um, just playing the game. So yeah, that's in the works. Um, lots of stuff coming. Yeah, lots of stuff. It should be good. All right. Um, so I'll I'll bid good evening, and we'll see if Colin has something new to say. Uh, I was just thinking about that. I was like, I should have I should have thought about this. I spent I spent all this time writing notes on decks, and no time coming up with a new catchphrase. So I don't know. Something, something to do with Prince. I, I, I gotta workshop it. Well, if you have a good suggestion for a tagline, comment it <laughs> on our Facebook. Or you know, there you go. That there's our call to action. Yeah. Give Always me, give me, give me a new, uh, give me a new catchphrase. Especially if you're tired of hearing me say "stay spooky," as I know some of our uh, loyal fans are. So. Hey, I hear the complaints, but I never hear any uh suggestions so. that's what i'm saying it's always be the easy change, to be the change you want to see in the world exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right well thanks for listening and we'll see you next time